I have that beautiful Longhorn helmet in the background, but it came with a note. If Colt doesn't get hurt, we win. Hook him. <laughs> now, I'll put you on the spot. Do you believe that if Colt McCoy doesn't get hurt, Texas wins the national championship? Come on, man. Hello and welcome to episode one of Always College Football. I'm Greg McElroy, and he'll be with me every step of the way. He's Mark Kubiak, formerly of the Fine Bomb Show, but he's our resident Notre Dame homer. Coops, what's going on, brother? What's going on, McElroy? What a time to launch a show here, huh? Always college football, never sleeps. Yeah, we're very excited about what this show will bring you, the college football fan from the college football fan, and it will never sleep. We'll be with you every single day. You referenced it. What a time to make a debut. With the news constantly shifting, with teams constantly moving, it's very appropriate to have a daily college football show, and that's what we aim to bring you here on Always College Football. How about what happened just a few days ago? How about the fact that USC and UCLA, two members, longtime members of the Pac-12, no longer. They are en route to the Big Ten for what some have considered to be greener pastures. Of course, interpret that as you will. But this is a seismic shift in the world of college football. Not only because of the historical significance that both SC and UCLA bring to the Pac-12, but the fact that we now have completely abandoned geographical borders in an effort to create super conferences. I don't blame the Big Ten whatsoever. Two amazing programs, two great brands, one gigantic media market. I don't blame them whatsoever for welcoming the Bruins and the Trojans with open arms. And I also have to acknowledge, look at where the Pac-12 currently is. USC and UCLA, they are going to potentially now create big opportunities and increase the resources with this impending move. The thing that's wild, though, USC has been in the Pac-12 since 1922, 100 years associated with one league. UCLA followed USC not long after they were in the big in the Pac-12. They joined in 1928. So the fact that we are essentially shredding history is pretty mind-blowing. And this is not the end, by the way. It feels almost as if it's the beginning. We already referenced the fact that geographical borders are gone. Gone is the alliance. But there's big questions that remain. How many? is the first question that I have. How big does the Big Ten want to get? And conversely, does the SEC expand in order to further secure their position as one of the mega super conferences, even though it doesn't feel like the SEC or the Big Ten need to do anything to already establish that they are super and superior to that of the rest of the Power Five? What about that Power Five? Will it continue to be the Power Five? What does this mean for the ACC, the Pac-12, and the Big 12 and their futures. The ACC feels, for the most part, stable, at least right now, as we're sitting here currently. They're on fairly stable footing. But will that last forever? It's highly unlikely, unless they can improve the situation for some of their marquee programs. And then let's go out west to the Pac-12 and the Big 12, for that matter. There's already reports of, because of the Pac-12's grant of rights deal, some of their teams could even be on the move as soon as the next couple days. There's reports about four or six teams from the Pac-12 that could potentially join the Big 12 in more sweeping changes. So this is not the end. This is the beginning, and we'll be with you every single step of the way. I don't think any of us can totally forecast what that's going to mean and what it's going to look like, but we'll do the best we possibly can to keep you updated. And then the final question that I have, where does Notre Dame fit? (laughs) Notre Dame being the independent, one of the key pieces in the college football landscape that is very much up for grabs 
Will they align themselves with the Big Ten potentially? There's rumors about there being a mutual interest there. We'll find out. But either way, Always College Football is your home for all the moves that might be coming here in the days and the weeks to come. We have a great game plan for you today. We're going to talk to the head coach of the Texas Longhorn, Steve Sarkeesian. He joins the show on the heels of massive news coming out of Austin. The number one recruit in the 2023 class, Arch Manning, has announced his intent to sign with the Texas Longhorns at the end of his recruiting cycle. That, and since we're talking Texas, we have to talk about who's back. Is Texas back? And what does it really mean to be back? We'll discuss all that in just a moment here on Always College Football. Night racing is back at Richmond Raceway. This spring, top NASCAR drivers like Ryan Blaney, Chase Elliott, Bubba Wallace, Ross Chastain, and Virginia's own Denny Hamlin will battle under the bright lights. And this historic track also offers a rocking infield experience with unparalleled access to your favorite drivers and one of the best tailgate scenes around. For a weekend of friends, family, and amazing short track action, head to Richmond Raceway, March 29th through 31st. Get tickets now at richmondraceway.com. Thrilled to be joined by the head coach of the Texas Longhorn, Steve Sarkeesian. He's one of my favorite people in, in all of college football. Uh, I think he's also one of my favorites to watch because the creativity just jumps off the tape every single time I turn it on. Coach, we know that last year was was a matter of ups and downs, uh, finished more on the downside, but what would you say you learned after year one? Well, you know, I learned this a while ago. Um you know, I, I was fortunate enough to be on Pete Carroll's first staff at USC. Uh, and he, he made a really cool point to me. And for some reason, he kind of endeared himself to me and he became a great mentor of mine. He said, there's two ways to do it when you take over a program. Uh, the first way is to do as many things like the guy and the staff before you did it, um, because that transition will be a little bit easier for the players and for all parties involved. But you, your expectation needs to be um, the more things you do like the previous staff, you have to be ready to accept similar results as you as you grow as a program. And so when you're replacing you know, a legend or, or something along those lines, a program where a guy retired um, after having a lot of success, that's, that's the easy way to do it. If you really want to do it your way, it's going to be more difficult on the players. It's going to be more difficult on the staff and different people because there's a lot of learning involved and you're going to have to live with the, with the kind of bumps in the road, the adversity that it gets faced with. So we went with the latter, you know, we went with, we're coming in to instill our schemes, our systems, the way we do things, the style of play, um, the expectation level for the standard of, of what the players needed to do and how to do it on a daily basis. Um, and ultimately, you know, warts got exposed in that process and, and some of those warts needed to be removed and we needed to do it in a way that, um, still gave our players the best opportunity to be successful. Granted, we lost some gut wrenching games and I felt for our players because they did put in a lot. Um, but in the end for our program, I thought that that was the best way to go about doing it. Now we were at USC, uh, we went six and six, our first year under Pete Carroll, and then proceeded to go to seven straight BCS bowl games, win two national titles and, and lose a third, right? And win 33 games in a row. And then I had an opportunity, as you know, Greg, to, to be with Coach Saban um, three out of five years. And you know me well enough. I ask all the hard questions, right, when I get around Coach and, and I want to know the whys of, of what he did. And 
it goes without saying when he came to Alabama, he was going to do it his way and very similar fashion. You were, you know, you were there for this kind of run, but it was going to be his way. And there was adversity. There was bumps in the roads and year one under coach Saban at Alabama was seven and six and mm-hmm. losing at home to Louisiana Monroe, you know, which I don't think every, anybody would thought Monroe would go into Tuscaloosa and, and win a game. But in the end, we've seen what happened after that, right? I think it was 10 and two the next year and third year, you guys are national champs. So, you know, my two mentors did it a certain way um, when they took over their programs and, and through my experience, having been a head coach and having worked with those guys the way they did it, that was our approach. And you don't like the growing pains. You don't like the bumps in the road. You don't like the tough losses and learning how to win and learning how to be as consistent as you can be with the, with our approach. Um, but in the end, we'll be better for it. And, and I feel like we already are. Now, I appreciate you bringing up Louisiana Monroe. Uh, it's a, it's a great memory um, that I have to deal with on a, on a fairly de- decent basis. But like you said, coach, I mean, I remember that year vividly. I was a redshirt freshman. We lost six games by seven points or less. You guys, for instance, last year, you guys lose but four games by six points or fewer, and yet you had control against good teams, against Oklahoma, against Baylor. You had control in several of those games. So I feel like the agony of a painful defeat actually makes you way better in the years to come. Have you noticed some of that with your squad? Without question. You know, I think, you know, two things is one, you know, we, we, we have a lot of really cool leadership from returning players that, you know, they're going into their final season or maybe they're juniors and they, they want to change the script and the narrative of Texas football and they don't want to feel that pain and, and anguish anymore. Um, and two, you know, we really flipped our roster, right? We brought in 35 yeah. new players who, you know, seven transfers and, and then all the young kids that I think bought into the idea of what we're doing here. Um, and recruited, we recruited really well to make that happen. So um, we've got a very hungry team that is willing to take the, the, the necessary steps and go the extra mile so that they don't have to feel that agony, right? Um, because it, I don't think it was about talent. Um, I don't think it was about understanding game plans or we wouldn't have had those leads in the fourth quarter against quality opponents. Um, But in the end, it's that level of perseverance and accountability and discipline to do right uh, at the critical moments and relying on the the guy next to you that he's going to do his job. All those things that sound very simple, um, but when you get pushed to the brink, sometimes it's not as simple to do it. And so our guys have bought into that idea. and you feel it, you know, that just culturally as a team, we feel different a year later going into year two as we did last season going into year one. Well, when you think about some of the guys that you've added, and and I want to ask you about the transfer portal players in particular, and there's been big news, you know, out of Austin recently about a guy you landed. I know you can't get into the specifics, but uh, I'm just curious what the message has been to these guys as you've gone out on the trail and as you've made this pitch what is at the heart of the message? Well, I, I think there's a lot that goes into it, as you know, from a recruiting standpoint. Um, but I think at the end of the day, you know, great players want to play with other great players in a program where they feel like they're going to be developed uh, not only on the football field, but off the football field. And we've got an amazing product at the University of Texas. You know, when you start talking about a world class education, in the city of Austin, which is the fastest growing city in the United States, an unbelievable economy um, to go along with a blue blood program, right? The history and tradition here at the University of Texas uh, is tremendous. Um, And now 
getting to really know the recruits on a personal level, uh, the fact that they're going to come in and compete at their own position group with quality players, that every day in practice, the guy lined up across from him is a quality player that's going to push him to get better. So getting yourself surrounded by like-minded individuals uh, like yourself, that when you're driven, when you're focused, when you want to be the best, uh, that inspires us to be even better. And I think that our the guys we've recruited, whether it's been in the portal um, or out of out of the high school ranks, recognize that, and they're not afraid of the competition because that ultimately is what drives those types of individuals to be the best. When you when you think about just all the things that you're afforded at a place like Texas, where the lights are big and the platform is massive and the city's incredible. I mean, you have every single thing at your disposal that you could possibly want as a Texas football player. I oftentimes have always thought maybe that might work against you. Uh, is that a fair, um, I guess, assessment of what challenges that there are, there are about living and trying to put together a quality program in a big market like you guys are trying to do? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's unique for sure. Um, I think, you know, one of the things when I took the job and as I went through year one is you have to recognize what you sign up for. You know, you, you can't have your head in the sand and just try to do it like somebody else did it at another school. You have to recognize um, what your own issues are and then take them on head on. You know, that that's the only way I've known how to do it. And, and we are in a unique market uh, in the city of Austin. Um, that's got the city of a million people and 3 million in the surrounding area with no pro sports, right? We have no NBA, no NFL, no major league baseball. And essentially Texas football is the pro sports team in town. And you, you have to know, even as a recruit, what you sign up for. Right. Um, and, and then getting to the point of playing as a team and being accountable to one another, being committed to the cause, um, because I felt like that was one of our issues a year ago is that we almost operated in silos uh, to some degree. Yeah. Um, and that's not atypical for year one as you're trying to gain trust and earn trust with the players and vice versa. Uh, but I just feel so much more like a team now uh, than we were a year ago. Um, so again, I think, again, we, we've got a lot of really cool things to sell about this place. And it's hard in a 48-hour span of an official visit to cover all of the great things that Texas has to offer. Uh, but at the core um, is our coaching staff, is the other players in that locker room, the other guys in the class that you're coming to play with uh, to play on this stage. I mean, this brand is unique. I mean, I've got it on my shirt right here. This logo um, doesn't need to say Texas above it. It doesn't need to say Longhorns below it. Everybody knows what that logo represents. And when you sign with the University of Texas, that's what you're playing for. And that's what you, and then the, the other things are a byproduct of that. And I think that our players have bought into that idea. Uh, they're committed to it. They recognize the stage that we're on. They recognize the expectation and the standard here. And that's winning championships. And that's that's why you come to University of Texas. It's no secret. You know, we've won the Director's Cup two years in a row, which is an unbelievable credit to Chris Delconi, our athletic director. Uh, but for a school with only 20 sports to win the Director's Cup two years in a row tells you about the quality of athlete that's coming to school here at every sport, whether it's swimming and diving, volleyball, baseball, softball, track and field. Everybody is the best at what they do. And football should be no different. It feels like Stanford. Uh, I can't believe that they didn't win it for like the first time ever. So I didn't realize that. But 
very cool to see Texas becoming as well-rounded as they are. And I feel, I think a lot of us feel like football is coming as well. Uh, quarterback position, of course, is so imperative in your offense. You've done an incredible job, whether it be, you know, Tua Tungavaloa or Mac Jones or, or even the guys that you had at SC and at Washington beforehand. Uh, I don't think there's very many out there that do a better job than you when it comes to developing and bringing out the best in each quarterback. So what is it that you do with your approach to kind of mold the offense and adjust the offense to make sure your quarterback's insanely comfortable while still keeping the creativity that you're known for week in, week out in your game plans? Well, you know, I think every quarterback's different, right? Every quarterback has got their strengths, has their weaknesses, has their things that they're that they're really good at, uh, has the things that they will be good at down the road. They're still working their way through. Um, so we try to schematically lay a really good foundation of this is this is our offense. And then once we identify who that starting quarterback is, or even the backup or the developmental third guy or fourth guy, we try to keep putting those quarterbacks in position to do the things that they do really well um, so that they can gain confidence in their play, um, that they're doing things that they do well and they're executing calls. And then we're sprinkling in the things that we know we want and need as an offense um, to expand their game and to, to get their game as well-rounded as we can. And then ultimately, come game day, um, we're trying to put the starting quarterback in the best position to be successful. And that's running the things that he does well and doing it in a creative manner. But we've laid a foundation for all of them um, in what our offense is. Like I always go back to the, the best analogy is when we were at Alabama for those two years, you know, Tua was our starting quarterback. That offense looked a lot different than the one the next year when Mac Jones was the starting quarterback. It was the same system. Um, we just focused and did the, on and did things that accentuated their strengths and did the things that they did really well. Tua was a lot of RPOs, a lot more kind of the drop back pass game and, and played to his creativity. Uh, when it was Mac, um, a lot more play action pass, a lot more of the running back in pistol, run downhill, play action pass, creating you know a lot of slot formations, two-man combinations, and, and Mac operated that really well. So um, I think that's one of the beauties of the system that, that we've evolved into now is that it's got a lot of versatility. Uh, it can play to the strengths not only of the quarterback, but of all the, of all the players, whether it's the offensive line, the runners, the, the receivers, uh, to try to put guys in the best position to be successful. But ultimately, it starts with the quarterback. He's got to be confident. Um, he's got to feel comfortable with what we're doing. Um, because the other players and, and other coaches feel that. And when that guy's in a good rhythm and comfortable with what he's doing, I think that just kind of you know verberates throughout the entire team of, hey, we're in good hands. This guy's going to go execute what, what coaches ask him to do. With what B. John Robinson meant to you guys last year and what he means to all of us as college football fans, the guy's incredible. It's probably as good as good a back as I've seen in Burnt Orange since Ricky Williams. And that's, that's saying something because Ricky Williams might be my favorite player ever uh, in college football. So uh, knowing what he is, is it safe to assume, whether it be Hudson Card or Quinn Ewers here in 2022, is it safe to assume that this offense might look a little bit more like the 2020 Alabama offense with heavy play action, back to the defense, allowing things to kind of develop downfield and, and just let it rip on some of those big chunk plays? Yeah, I think I think there's definitely a, an avenue to that. Um, Bijan is a tremendous player. And I think and you've probably heard me say this more than once. As good of a player that he is, he's a better human being. 
I mean, this guy's a phenomenal person. He represents the University of Texas. Our program uh, is good or better than anybody. Um, but he's a really versatile guy. You know, he, he can run gap schemes. He can run zone schemes. He can run out of the pistol. He can run offset. He's a tremendous route runner. He's got great hands. So he's definitely a focal point of what we do. Uh, I think one thing that we wanted to ensure that we did coming into this season was have enough weapons around him. Um, You know, we had Xavier Worthy coming back, who had a great freshman year. Uh, We added um, Isaiah Nair from the transfer portal from Wyoming, who was a thousand yard guy a year ago as a sophomore. Um, I love I've heard about that guy. I I, I don't want to have like ridiculous expectations or whatnot, but I've I've heard he's the real deal. You just tell me, is that true or false? He's got the makings to to have a heck of a year. Um, (laughs) Getting Jordan Winnington back is big. You know, he was a guy who was leading our team in receiving broke his collarbone against Oklahoma, um, and we lost him basically for the remainder of the season. The development um, of our tight ends uh, with with JT Sanders and Gunnar Helm and Juan Davis, adding a Jaleel Billingsley to that room, adding a, a Jai Hall to the, to the wide receiver room, um, and then the development even at the other running backs with, with Roshan Johnson, Keelan Robinson. So we've tried to really bulk up and have enough weapons around Bijan to where we know he's going to garner a lot of attention, um, but that hopefully we've got enough weapons around him that those other guys can really hurt you and make you pay if, if you focus too much on number five. Yeah, I think you got a really nice group of weapons. The thing is your creativity – uh, you might have guys doing rock, paper, scissors to see who gets balls. Uh, you have so many good guys. I mean, if you have only one, you can move Xavier around and you got action. But now you might have some some competition out there as far as looks and targets. Be careful with the rock, paper, scissors. I, I got what, 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 what our old my old boss called an ass chewing for that one. Yeah. Uh, I had a couple receivers do that in game uh, when I was back in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, that's a dangerous game. Yeah, I'm shocked that that coach would react strongly to that. Uh, let's ask you. You you have Coach Saban of the Crimson Tide coming to your house uh, in September. Uh, I know it's a game that we're all really looking forward to as fans of the sport. So. Uh, what does that game mean for the Texas Longhorns? Yeah, I think, um, you know, one great deal of respect, obviously, for their program and for Coach Saban and, and what he's been able to do uh, now for almost two decades, right, of of just the style of play, um, the ability to adapt to the, to the style of play in college football, um, where it was defense, 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 Greg, just don't screw it up and we'll win a national championship (laughs) Um, to really highlighting the offensive players and and letting them, you know, really cut it loose and go play to now the shift. They're a really complete football team. You know, they've got a great defense coming back. Um, Anytime you have the Heisman Trophy winning quarterback coming back and Bryce Young and, and all that he can do, they're a fantastic team. So one, a great deal of respect for what they are. Um, they're a veteran football team and we are not, (laughs) you know, we, we, I think we have 57 freshmen or sophomores out of our 85 scholarship players this fall. Uh, So we're a young team. Um, I think we're talented. The reality of it is for us, as we go into this game is about, can we prepare, can we be focused and can we put our best foot forward against a really quality opponent? 
And when you do that, you always give yourself an opportunity uh, to play at a high level and put yourself in position in the fourth quarter to go win a game. And one thing in my time when I was at Alabama, a lot of the times when teams got themselves in trouble against us is they got out of character. Uh, whether it was the play caller, whether it was players doing things that were that were not in their norm. Um, and so one of the keys when you get in a game like this is to be really focused, understand the game plan, go execute the plan, knowing they're going to make their plays too, uh, but put yourself in position in the fourth quarter to uh, to put a couple drives together, get a couple stops on defense uh, with an opportunity to win. Now, look, I'll put you on the spot since we're talking Bama, Texas. Uh, I have that beautiful Longhorn helmet in the background. Proud to have it. Um, glad that that we'll have Longhorn helmet up there as often as we can during the show. But it came with a note that uh, was a little bit hurtful to me. Uh, if Colt doesn't get hurt, we win. Hook him. Uh, now, I'll put you on the spot. I, I will gladly do it. And I feel like hey, where you are now, it makes sense if you went in one specific direction. But do you believe that if Colt McCoy gets hurt in the 09 championship, if doesn't get hurt, Texas wins the national championship? Come on, man. I am not a hypothetical guy, man. If you know me from any press conference, I don't answer the hypotheticals. Yeah, uh, two great teams, you. though. It would have been great to see. You know, it would have been fun, I think, for everybody to, to see the game and, and have Colt play. He was a fantastic player, still is. Yeah. A guy still playing in the NFL, which is unbelievable. You know, he goes in for the Cardinals last year and lights it up for like four games. But <laughs> um, I think it would have been great to see. You know, obviously, when, when he wasn't in there, I think it was a shock to Texas for, there for about a, a couple quarters and then tried to come back there late. But you guys were a heck of a team that year, man, and uh, physical, tough, and um, – so it is what it is. That's the way that's the way the cookie crumbles sometimes, man. It's football and injuries happen. Oh, I know, I know that you're doing everything you can in your power to get Texas back into a spot like that, coach. And I I firmly believe that you guys keep doing what you're doing. It's a it's a real possibility, man. Wish you the best. Thank you so much for the time and, and have a great rest of the summer. We look forward to seeing you in the fall. Appreciate it, buddy. Anytime. Great conversation with Coach Sarkeesian there. As you can hear, it sounds like this foundation is being laid. It feels like the arrow is pointing up for the Texas Longhorns. And as we've talked about so many different times, I mean, my goodness, right now in the era of freedom of transfer, you can actually improve your roster overnight. Look at Michigan State for a good example. A team that really struggled for several years saw things turn around rather quickly in the second year under head coach Mel Tucker. So it can be done by way of the transfer portal now, probably more than ever before. You would only have to go to the transfer portal if you didn't have super high quality high school talent to rely on. The beauty is for the Texas Longhorns, Arch Manning, he's now picked the Texas Longhorns. Where's he going to go? How does he fit in? Look, Quinn Ewers and Hudson Card are still very much in the picture. And if one of those two guys goes out and has a, dom a dominant year, a great year. We could very easily find Arch Manning going elsewhere. That could certainly happen. But based on what's transpired after his official announcement and saying that he was going to attend the University of Texas, that's massive because it now feels like the floodgates are opening for Texas. Look, I don't know what Arch Manning's going to become. I think he's going to be great. The people that I trust say that he is the perfect blend of athleticism with what you want in today's day and age of college football, but he also has the size and he also has the arm talent and he also has the mental ability to compartmentalize the expectations that he's going to have the second he walks on campus. That's significant. 
If you play at the University of Texas, you're going to have to be able to play under significant weight of expectations. Arch Manning has grown up with the last name Manning. You know he's had expectations from the time he first grabbed the football, and he's played beautifully up to this point. We look forward to seeing him at the University of Texas, and we believe that because of his commitment, Texas will have probably a bunch of guys that will commit here in the next six months because they want to play with Arch Manning. We'll see what happens. Hopefully, there's a lot of guys on the offensive and defensive lines because that's where Texas has really, really struggled. They've had great skill. They've had great weapons. They've had sometimes decent quarterback play. But what they haven't had are great players in the trenches. They're going to need that as they transition to the SEC here in the next couple of years. Speaking of teams getting back, there's a bunch. I referenced a second ago that the portal can now create opportunities to improve your roster overnight. So, Coops, let's dive in. Let's look at some teams that are trying desperately to get back to notoriety, and let's start with the Miami Hurricanes. Yeah, Miami, since joining the ACC, they have one 10-win season. What's it going to take for Miami to get back to the level that their fan, the Kane fans want them to be at? Well, here's part of the problem. It's really difficult to be successful when you don't have stability. And Miami's had everything but stability since 2016. Mario Cristobal now comes down from Oregon. It's the third head coach that Miami's had in the last six years. It's extremely difficult to be consistent and to be steady and to continue to achieve when you're constantly turning over your head coach and turning over your program. But there is reason to believe that Miami could be back sooner than later. Few reasons. One, we know Mario Cristobal is an excellent coach that's going to build a team the right way, meaning he wants to build a team from the inside out. He specializes with offensive line, you know he also has a, put a high priority on defensive line talent as well, which I think are two massive areas to improve your team as quickly as humanly possible. The other thing he's done, he's done a great job of surrounding himself with great coaches. Charlie Strong is on the staff. You have Hall of Famers and Jason Taylor and Ed Reed. They're a part of the staff as well. So there's a lot of reason to believe that the coaching staff that Mario Cristobal has assembled could be in a great position to take a huge step forward. We talked about those guys. How about the fact that Josh Gaddis, fresh off an incredible performance at Michigan as the offensive coordinator last year, he'll be running the offense, and then longtime great defensive mind Kevin Steele will be running the defense. So it's a great staff, and I think it starts there. But I also think, too, now in the modern era, you have to have an administration that is all in on being successful. They have made a huge commitment to their infrastructure. They've made a huge commitment to their facilities, and they've made a huge commitment to their NIL. And I think for those reasons, they might be better here in 2022, 2023, and 2024 than most would anticipate. A lot of teams, it takes a while. I don't think it's going to take very long for Miami. And it might even be as soon as this year with Tyler Van Dyke coming back at quarterback and a pretty decent cast coming back around him along the offensive and on the defensive side of the football. All right. What about Nebraska? Since joining the Big Ten in 2011, they only have one 10-win season. 
What can Nebraska do to get back to that national prominence? Well, close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades, right? There are no moral victories when you're a team like Nebraska. You've won national championships, at least in my lifetime. There was a period of time in which you were completely dominant to the point in which watching you run the triple option was painful. Me as a passing quarterback, watching that absolute dominance (laughs) was unbelievable there in the mid-90s and obviously leaking in to the early 2000s. Here's part of the reason why I feel very optimistic about what Nebraska has going for it. Now, are they all of a sudden going to flip the script and go from 3-9 and to now in a position to potentially make a college football playoff appearance? I have a tough time anticipating that. I'm not sure anybody in their right mind would tell you, yep, Nebraska's knocking on the door of the college football playoff this year. But, much like we talked about with Steve Sarkeesian earlier in the show, when you lose close games it really increases the urgency the following year so that guys will avoid the same pain of disappointment. Last year, Nebraska went 3-9. and nine. No one's going to sit here and say that that's a great record. Not at Nebraska. Scott Frost in four years is 15-29 and 29 at his alma mater. That's not good enough. As simple as that, it's not good enough. And everyone, everyone would agree with that sentiment. But when those nine losses came by nine points or less and the closest, I mean, the worst loss that you had was a road loss on the road at Ohio State, there's no, there's really nothing to be able, feel too badly about. I mean, Nebraska did a lot of really good things last year. In some ways, they found ways to lose games. You remember the game against Michigan State, a game on the road that they lost in overtime by three. It felt like they were ever so close to pulling out that victory. Remember the game against Michigan? They hosted Michigan there in early October. They lost that game by three. But what did Michigan go on to do? That was a really, really good football team. And there were some games in which they were a little bit less competitive. But if you look at how they played as a whole, they were significantly better on both sides of the football last year. And it leads me to believe that they actually might take a pretty significant step forward here in 2022. They have a new quarterback in Casey Thompson who did a lot of really nice things at Texas last year. He started the final 10 games and he led the Big 12 in passing touchdowns with 24. So he has a pretty good understanding of what to do within the offense. He won't have the same mobility as Adrian Martinez, but he will likely have a little bit more consistency. So he's part of the reason why I feel really good about what they bring back on that side of the ball. And then defensively, if there's one thing that they did really well last year is that they were fairly consistent on the defensive side of the football. You got Garrett Nelson and Luke Reimer that'll both be back. And I think that is a great place to start when looking at a foundational part of what they're trying to become defensively. So I think Nebraska, believe it or not, I'm not predicting this just yet. Our hold me to and predictions will come to fruition here a few weeks from now. But I think Nebraska is going to be one of the most improved teams in the country here in 2022 as far as their win-loss improvement from last year. This is the one thing I love about college football. You can really say that this is the best three and nine team I've ever seen. And you can mean it. It's great about it. It's hard to pick a team that's that's that much better considering how many close losses they have. They were about this close to pulling off some significant upsets. 
Thank y'all so much for being with us here on Always College Football. It's great to have one episode in the books. Of course, like, rate, and subscribe. We appreciate you that are getting us on YouTube. We appreciate you that are listening to the podcast everywhere where you get your podcasts. So please, like I said, like, rate, and subscribe. It really helps the show. And please give us some feedback. What do you like? What do you not like? And chime in. Always college football at gmail.com. Chime in on where we can improve and please drop off some questions for the mailbag that we'll be using in the shows to come. You're definitely going to want to ask us specifics about what your team may or may not be here coming up in 2022. You can always also check us out on Twitter at AlwaysCFB. For Greg McElroy and Mark Kubiak, thanks for being with us. And remember, it's always college football.